Welcome to today's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Uh, today, Honor and I have a very interesting guest. We have Oliver Lowe, who is someone who helps the next generation of founders tell their story. So Oliver has 15 years of experience building and delivering hyper-growth for tech brands, experience in product and marketing team for APAC at Zynga, uh, then joined App Annie as EVP of marketing, spent a number of years at one of Southeast Asia's most successful startups, Grab, as head of marketing, both on the main Grab brand side as well as the financial group, and is now the VP of marketing at Surge, which is the rapid scale-up program at Sequoia Capital. Welcome, Oliver. Really excited to have you. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. So we often talk on this podcast about the role of marketing at startups, and it would be really good to get some of early perspectives from you because you, of course, help market some of Sequoia's you know, portfolio companies, but also have spent significant amount of time yourself marketing you know, startups. So we'd love to start the conversation, perhaps with your early experiences with Zynga and App Annie and some of the things you learned along the way. You know, when I look back at kind of time that I've spent in my career with different companies, they've, they've always kind of, I guess, challenged and re-challenged like my way of thinking on what marketing is. And I, to be honest, I think the whole industry is kind of uh, constantly redefining and rethinking like, okay, was that the right marketing? I think um, before Zynga is without agencies. So, you know, doing marketing and advertising the supposedly proper way, right? And I, I think what was interesting about Zynga was they took almost a game developer and viral approach to marketing games. And that challenged my whole view of the way that agencies, marketing was done by ad agencies versus at that point, that was Zynga was building kind of the playbook for social apps and social games. App Annie was a rare, at that time, a rare kind of actually Asian founded company. So the company's founded in Beijing that you know managed to build a B2B SaaS business and is you know, now you know, a very large business from China, but a global business from China, which which I don't think actually had been done before. Global data business from China, which is almost counterintuitive in terms of brand trust. I, I think all these steps have, have definitely uh, given me different points of view on how you brand companies, how you build brands and, and how you use that to drive growth. So what do you think then, based on some of these experiences that you had, what's the right time to worry about a brand? Yeah, so look, it's funny. I think most startup founders I talk to, I think there's this prevalent frame of thinking that you know, you kind of, you start your company, you try and, you know, build some kind of prototype and get product market fit. And then you pitch to investors, you get some money, and then you properly start scaling it. And then only then, and maybe you're what, two, three years in, then you kind of think about building a brand because at that point you can afford to do marketing, you can afford to pay a design agency, you can afford to do some advertising and whatnot. And I think like what underpins all of that is that a lot of these founders of family teams think of brands as a TV ad, right? And actually, you know, when I work with startup founders, the thing that I, I like to challenge at the very beginning is what do they think their brand is? The brand is basically just the perception of you, your product, your company in the minds of the consumer. That's all it is. Right. And that starts off before you've ever done a TV app, before you've ever done it. it. It starts off from your very first pitch to a prospective customer, maybe even before you've built the product, right? And, and that's why actually in the early stage, a lot of companies' brands, and even in some cases, it's the late stage, a lot of companies' brands are almost a reflection of the founder because the company is the founder at that point, right? You can even say like some of Elon Musk companies are still the founder at, at this point, right? 
so you know you really have to think about like what shapes that perception and frankly like although you know i'm in marketing like a tv ad is one of the last things a consumer will say right it's going to be like the person who sold them their experience of the product the customer service and then maybe they might say if they're pushed in in, in you know when the researcher asks them oh yes oh yeah oh well, i might have seen an ad as well right so actually, like when people say, okay, how am I going to build my brand? Oh, yeah, I need some budget. I, you know, and, and actually marketers are no better. Majority of marketers would be like, yeah, CEO, I need to build the brand. I'm the head of marketing. Give me some budget. That's the only thing that's going to happen for me to be able to build a brand. You know, for me, that is, it is one of the things, right? But before you do that, there are many other things uh, that you need to do, you know, before you start thinking about advertising. And frankly, for me, Advertising is it's not a brand question, it's a media planning question, right? I mean, people always like challenge and say, oh, why is it, you know, the classic thing from like, found, like very techie kind of founders would be like, well, why do we need to do TV ads? Because, you know, Facebook grew to like billions of users. They didn't do a, t- a single TV ad, right? And frankly, it's a media planning question, not a brand question. Brands can be built with and without TV ads. Right. Brands can build with all kinds of media channels for advertising. That is a how do I reach my consumer question and how do I grow and drive adoption and engagement? Right. And in the case of Facebook, they were able to do it through their product and through virality of our social network. And so they didn't need TV advertising because essentially they owned the distribution. Right. And many Internet companies are like that and therefore don't need to invest in TV advertising. Right. Equally, a lot of yeah, startups now in India and, and say Indonesia that actually are now investing in TV advertising because they are going after an audience because they don't have that distribution, number one, and because they're going after an audience that still watches TV. Whereas like Facebook's college audience didn't watch TV, so it didn't make sense. So TV is a media planning question. It's not a brand question. And I think people kind of need to decouple the two to, to figure out what, to prioritize what they should actually do. There are a lot of good points here, but one thing that really caught my attention, you talked about brand not as a, individual moment such as a seeing a tv ad but a collection of experiences that you have with the company or the product all the way from being exposed to the product in the first place to buying it to customer support or many other touch points that you might experience now let's flip this perspective to that of the founder if your whole focus this time was on the product side and for the first time you are starting to realize that actually brand is a collection of all these experiences how do you even think about building a structure around it and thinking of your investments more strategically rather than sporadically in other words if i decide that building and maintaining my brand for my startup is important and i have a one to three year timeline in my mind how do i go about using my resources effectively to build my brand in that timeline it's a really interesting question because I think um, there's probably a, and a couple of steps to this. I think the first and most foundational is, and it, you know, this can be obviously the most difficult for many founders is, if a brand is the perception of you, your company, your product, in the eyes and the ears of the consumer, what do you want that to stand for, right? And this is where potentially you could say that building brands for startups versus managing a brand for a you know, big brand that's been around for a long time has seemed to be different. With a lot of startups, the brand starts with the founder and the founder's purpose, why they even like, created this company. And, and it is purer to that, 
right? As opposed to kind of many sub-brands that PNG has created that are more kind of just, okay, I, here's a brand that provides a service that is differentiated to solve this problem. When I'm working with startup founders, I like to start with that purpose because actually, you know what? None of these guys or girls will be, you know, brand experts, right? None of them are going to like fill out some positioning pyramid and be like, yeah, here's my brand. What do you think? But all of them can talk about why they decided to do this and what is that at that core, right? And, and so it's the role, you know, say the CMO or whoever the, the person is helping this founder, it's, it's their role not to create anything extra or anything new, but to really kind of eke out in the words of the founder what that purpose is. And, and often what they say in the initial line is not what they mean. Like often when I'm doing it, you kind of have to keep on asking the question, why? Right. Because quite often, like founders are kind of, um, they're tuned into pitching to an investor. Right. And frankly, a lot of those statements can be quite, well, can sound like the next startup in their category. Right. So then all these startups have the same buzz. But actually, if you really cut to the core, right, most some founders are really great and already have that sense really clear. Others, you kind of need to kind of work it with them. There is a, a much deeper human reason as to why they started this company. And it's usually owing from some kind of life experience that they've, they've had and, and actually some kind of ideology of the way they think the world should be. That's a very good point. Yeah. Right. And when you get to ideology, that's where it becomes like the thing, the thing about great ideologies, our ideologies should be unique, compelling, and also polarizing. In other words, some people will by necessity disagree with them. And I think once you get to that kind of territory, that's where you can kind of take that and then start to build the brand from that, right? If you look at some of the great startup brands that you've built in the last 10, 15 years, they all have this kind of, you know, this strong ideology, right? Like, I mean, you take even HubSpot, which is stock consumer, it's B2B, it's marketing tech, but they had this very strong ideology when Google search came about that they didn't want marketing to become this kind of spammy, crappy marketing that just interrupted everyone you know, because there was this potential, right? With the oncoming of Google search, internet marketing, and that's where it was going, right? And then they popularized this whole kind of concept of inbound marketing. A lot of their communications talks about like you know, trying to do marketing with a conscience. And they built that out into the, all these academies and schools and so forth. And so that's like a point of view that, you know, frankly, some people might disagree with. But everyone who's like a HubSpot certified marketer um, and has signed up for this and, and so forth and prefers to use them over Marketo or wherever you know, the other CRM, CRM guys are out there, they believe in that. And that gives the business irrational margin. I like to think of kind of brand as irrational margin, right? Like it's, that's what every startup founder wants. They want to increase their margins. And brand is one of the ways that you can do that without necessarily increasing cost or increasing investment. That's where a lot of it has to start, right? Like an ideology, a point of view on which this uh, thing is based. And that essentially, that's what differentiates people. Otherwise, you're just like, you know, you're just the same as the next five companies. Like, here's the problem. Here's my solution. Please buy me. I'm cheaper and more affordable than the next person. That is not a reason to purchase yours over and above all the other options out there. I love this notion of irrational margin. Great analogy for what brand is and what brand provides. Now, let's, for the sake of an argument, pretend that we're working with a startup right now and we've been working with the founder and we've asked enough why questions and we've gotten to 
a human insight based on um, what the perception of this business we want to create uh, in the minds of customers or consumers. How do we go from articulating that in a really compelling way? And then to your earlier point, a brand should be something that comes to life in all the interactions and experiences we have. So how do you go from the, uh, uncovering that ideology, that perception that we want to create into bringing it to life without using advertising yet? Yeah. Okay. So like, I think there's two kind of jumping off points, right? Because we talked about the purpose that a founder has, and then you kind of go into how you position it in the minds of the consumer, right? So one is the first is like founder centered and purpose and their founder purpose centered. The second is consumer centered. And you need to get both of those on the money authentically done. Right? So we've talked about the person already, right? In terms of, of how you talk with, how you kind of eke that out with a founder and, and, you know, quite often like a framework that, you know, I like to use is, is Synex, Synex start with why, um, which kind of goes through, you know, why, you know, why are we doing this? What is our purpose? How do we do it differently to anyone else? And then, you know, what is it that we, you know, what is this company? What is this product? But that's still very much founder centered. What I like to do in terms of then take getting it consumer centered, which is where you can start to position it to a consumer. I think the biggest kind of, I guess, inception that I think is necessary with startup founders is like a lot of founders are trained to kind of pitch an investor where they're kind of in the frame of, here's the problem as I understand it at a market level. And here's the kind of the actual kind of micro problem. And here's how we solve it through technology, through restructuring something or whatever it might be. And so a lot of startups frame their positioning in terms of problem and solution. Now, if Airbnb did that, they would just be VRBO, right? They would, hey, Airbnb, the problem is, you know, hotels are overbooked and they're hideously expensive. So we give you alternative accommodation that gives you larger rooms at great prices. And yeah, and I'm sure Airbnb wouldn't have been the brand it is today, wouldn't have been the startup, the company that, that it's IPO now today if it, if it had done that, right? What they did and what a lot of great companies and founders have done is, they think about their positioning in terms of one thing, a real human insight. When marketers or when, you know, or when startup founders are looking at their audience, like I'd say the biggest thing that we're all guilty of is defining an audience in terms of behavioral and demographics, right? Like, so for example, when I was working at Grab, it's like, yeah, we launched a new product. And it, yeah, it asked like, yeah, marketing manager, okay, what is, you know, who, who's the user? It's like, oh, this user is a, uh, heavy ride hailing user who uses uh, ride hailing uh, at least five to six times a week with this income and is 18 to 34 and this geo and so forth, right? That says nothing about the user and why they would use this product and why they're going to use this other product. It, similarly, if you did that for Airbnb, it's like, so young, young traveler stays in these hotels, has this income, right? What Airbnb position was really based on was basically the insight that most young millennials thought that conventional traveling kind of sucked and they defined conventional traveling as going to a place and staying in a hotel and getting in the tourist trap and just going by whatever you know lonely planet says and you know photos tells you to go to and being stuck behind a tour group with a flag right and people wanted to you know have different kinds of experiences from that and so although airbnb was just an accommodation site they built their brand off that insight, right? And hence the brand. And because of that understanding, they don't position themselves as, okay, great, cheap foundation. They position themselves as a platform where you can 
go to a place, travel there and belong there as if you are local. And because of that position, then it is natural that you know, we will provide you with accommodation that is supplied to you by locals where you meet the host and it's in a neighborhood as opposed to like in the tourist district, right? As their first product. But it's also natural that they will, they will provide you with experiences and anything else. Startup companies are always, you know, often they'll grow fast and they'll, they'll verticalize. And they'll always be asking, you know, you always get the, the, the GM of whichever vertical. How do, we, how do we go from like vertical X to vertical Y, vertical Y to vertical Z? And if you had really understood the consumer at the outset, that wouldn't be even be much of a problem. And that's why it hasn't been much of a problem for Airbnb, because they've kind of known what their mission is. They've known what their purpose is. They've known how pos they position themselves. And therefore, actually, the rollout of their products is just a natural extension of that vision, as opposed to most brands that are just products. So the rollout of new products requires a lot of marketing to explain why are we doing this? So yeah, it has to come from a real human insight. And it's from that that you can then position not just on being different, but on being a brand that gets the consumer down to their very core. That's what drives irrational loyalty. Not our soup is tastier because we use sesame oil. Yeah. I love your point on starting with the human insight. Actually, I was looking for a startup called Savvy Kel the other day, which is a Calendly competitor for arranging scheduling. And on their homepage, the first message was sending your scheduling link shouldn't feel weird. And I thought that was a great headline to put on your homepage because that starts with the insight that people feel mm. uncomfortable asking the other person to find a slot in their calendar. So I really thought that was a good example of starting with the inside rather than, yeah, the problem is finding a time that matches for everyone is difficult and therefore our product solves this problem. I want to ask a broader question. And I had this interesting discussion with another marketer recently, and we compared the evolution of FMCG products, starting with the chemists developing products in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and leading those companies because they were product driven. But eventually there were so much competition on the market that the marketers came and took over and they all got wrapped in these attributes that helped build those brands and they became marketing-led companies. Mm. And do you think with the rise of no-code platforms and tools and the fact that building software has become so easy, the world of technology might be going through a similar transformation? And based on your point that true competition is becoming a bit rare and nobody's going to use a product just because it solves a functional problem, but more so because they actually believe in the brand purpose. Do you think marketing is going to start playing an even important role in the world of startups and especially tech startups? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, there's no right and wrong. It, like the kind of the dominant playbook of what branding and marketing is about. I mean, this is all human created stuff. So there is no objectivity in this, right? It's society created. But it's really just about what is the dominant industry of those set of decades. So because like CPG dominated for so many decades, they wrote the playbook of marketing and branding, right? And that that was one subjective viewpoint. And, and yes, we are kind of moving to a new uh, point where you know the the S and P five hundred is is dominated by a different set of companies now, right? And because of that, then all of us marketers kind of downstream from that will be like, oh wow, our industry's changed. Like, should we rewrite all the the rules? Like. 
you know, is all these books now now defunct. I think there's maybe two, there's probably two things at play. Number one is, and this is obviously kind of very obvious and well documented, younger generations giving more of a shit about the provenance and the social impacts of the products that they buy. And, and honestly, that's maybe, that's just because of the pivotal point of us as a civilization in that we've scaled our civilization so far that we are screwing up the planet in ways that are now plainly obvious to billions of people. Anyone with a thinking cap would be like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be plundering the, and strip mining the earth with the resources in the way that we've been doing so unsustainably. So I think that is definitely having an impact. And, 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 you know, obviously there's many kind of whatever consultants reports about, you know, the rise of social impact with brands and, and so forth. And so there's a massive kernel of just human truth in that, right? I think the second thing about the movement from kind of say packaged goods to kind of tech companies, distribution and media, right? Like, so it's packaged because the whole playbook was based on like you make a packaged good, you go to a retailer, you negotiate with them to get it on the shelves, and then you go to a media channel owner like a TV station and you put your ads on there. And so, and you get all your kind of brand metrics up based off frequency and reach and all this kind of stuff that a media planning agency kind of tells you. And then people go to the store and then, then you get all your reach promotions and then they buy the stuff and, and the, the cycle repeats. I think what's changed now is a lot of the tech products come in are displacing the engagement of the that kind of traditional media that you know, TV, radio kind of had, number one. And then number two, the distribution game, so retail, is also being displaced, right? And it's being displaced either by direct consumer or through these massive kind of marketplaces and platforms. And then a lot of companies have reacted to that by essentially... And this is why I guess content marketing is so big by directly owning your relationship with the consumer, as opposed to having that, you know, go through a third party, whether that be a retailer or whether that be, in fact, the TV ad. Those are all intermediaries, distribution communications. And all of this is now flowing back because, because now anyone can become a publisher of content. Right. And so th that has massive impacts. I mean, not just in brands, I mean, influences all this stuff. But in terms of brands, you know, now all these marketing teams can become essentially almost like, you know, media channels in, in of themselves. And, and frankly, probably 80% of them will fail and, and are failing, right? Like, in, there's, only, there's only so much stuff people could watch, right? And like, there's only so much of it that's actually good. Most of it's, you know, probably pretty crap. I, I think those are the kind of dynamics that are maybe from one industry to another in terms of dominant industry kind of working to rewrite the core playbooks of how you build a brand and how you market and um and yeah and people have to like know that context and adjust that how they're going to do things to that as opposed to just stay stuck in well this is what we've always done and and, and so forth taking all that into consideration you could also argue that the role of brand and role of an ideology and what your perception is actually increased now in that context because the way that you go to market and the rise of direct-to-consumer is far more prominent than it perhaps was when you went through other channels. And consumers care more about purpose and the impact of businesses. Would you say the role of brand is actually increasingly important in that world? Or do you think in that world where you go through distributors when it comes to retail and media, it was more important then? What, what do you think? Yeah, I see what you mean. And, and so you're kind of saying because um, 
you know, whereas before I just go to the retailer and then I make a decision based what the TV ads I've seen and and so and so who said this and then how it looks on the shelf. Yeah, as you're going into very well competed over digital distributors and marketplaces without necessarily a, a defined shelf space that you're competing over, or alternatively, you're selling direct to consumer through your own channels. Yeah. Wouldn't it be increasingly theoretically, like increasingly important to have a brand that really stands for something that people can really buy into? Yeah, because I guess if you look at the, I mean, to what you're saying, right? Like if you look at the way that the human being kind of interacts in those two different situations, it's gone from passive to active in a way. Just the way things like a search algorithm works versus you looking at a shelf is fundamentally a different relationship and a different interaction. When there's infinitely more choices and infinitely more permutations of what I could type in versus the inches on a shelf, it basically makes competition more free, which basically, yeah, I mean, makes it extremely difficult to stay on top, you know, if you aren't compared to before where you have certain relationships and and that just nails distribution for you, right? So from that point of view, uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously there's a bunch of um, digital optimization that, you know, marketing teams do to kind of ensure they're on top as well. But I think what people are finding, I mean, take Google search, for example, is the platform owners in most cases, not all, in most cases, are optimizing their platforms to the highest quality and the best brands, right? So you take Google search, like every, every black hat way that, you know, kind of internet marketers have tried to kind of take advantage of Google, Google has kind of done a whack-a-mole and it, and it is all bringing it back to relevant content and stuff that people actually love and will engage with. Um, so in that context, yes, building a brand is so almost more pivotal than it, than it used to be and drives an incredible amount more value and increasingly is more measurable. Right. Although we're nowhere near the, uh, the kind of, you know, hundreds of measurability, it still takes a lot of faith and a lot of courage to do things that are the right things, but you can't measure 100% of the way along every step. No, for sure. I, I agree with what you're saying. And, um, there's, there's definitely a lot, a lot of play there. Awesome. That's a lot of great points. I think for our listeners to take away, let me try and summarize what we've been speaking about so far. <laughs> You started off by uh, really talking about that common frame of thinking that a lot of startup marketers that you have interacted with over the years go through. You know, you build your MVP, your pitch, you start scaling, and then you often start thinking about marketing. And within that framework, founder teams often think of brands as TV ad, but that's actually very far from the truth where brand is basically the perception of the company in the mind of the consumer. It's all the things that you interact with. It's all the things you do with a company, its products, its services. But often also, especially in the early days of a company, the brand is really a reflection of the founder. When you're pitching, when you're really creating those first MVPs, it really does come to what the founder believes in, the sort of ideologies of the founders. But ultimately, moving from that, you should be thinking about brand as a collection of experiences and buying the product. And then we have this discussion around advertising and whether that is actually the same thing as a brand. And you have the perspective that ad advertising is not actually a brand question. It's more of a media planning question and buying ads and TV ads and things like that. And then often when we, we take the first step in brand building and the question, the important question to ask there is, what do you want the company to stand for? And because for a lot of startups, brand is the extension of the founder, really. Why did they decide to start the company? 
why did they want to launch a certain product or service is perhaps a really, really good place to start. However, if you keep asking the why questions, you get founders out of pitch mode and into brand purpose mode a lot easier. And often the real reason then a company was founded and the real interesting sort of starting point for a brand comes from a human insight that's based on a strong ideology that can often be very, very polarizing. And you use the HubSpot ideology as an example. So marketing shouldn't be about interruption, but marketing with a conscious and that inbound marketing angle that then had a lot of people either, you know, believe in that or not. And that was a good way to position the company. And one of my favorite parts of your inputs today was really this notion of irrational margin. So what is brand? Brand is really a way for you to drive irrational margin based on the ideologies that you have in place. And then how do you create irrational margin? Well, that's bringing the founder purpose and the brand to life, really. So you mentioned Sinex, start with why, and often, you know, moving away from that sort of macro problem, micro problem thinking, and here's how to solve it, which is typically how positioning is often done by founders in especially early days in pitch mode, to really positioning around a real human insight. So based on behaviors, not demographics, the Airbnb example was a really good one. Uh, that human insight being that most young millennials thought conventional traveling sucked. And it was actually more about living like a local. And if you want to live like a local, then the accommodation and the experiences and the way hosts interact had to become a part of the business. And in that particular example, and in many other examples, a well-defined consumer insight can provide your vertical strategy, your product strategy, your, your customer service strategy, and all of those things should be derived from it. And we spoke a little bit about how marketing's evolved and the, the notion around CPG brands dominating for so long that they'd really written the marketing playbook. But now the S&P 500 today is dominated by many other types of companies and the playbook is evolving um, as a result of that. And two reasons. Number one, consumers actually care much more about purpose and impact of companies. And the second point was really about the distribution and media have both changed fundamentally. And by that, we mean the sort of retail distribution moving more into marketplaces and things like that, and also media channels evolving quite, quite heavily. And because direct-to-consumer is becoming more of a trend, we concluded that perhaps more pivotal uh, than ever, actually role of the brand is perhaps more pivotal than it used to be. The algorithms do tend to reward, after all, quality of brand, relevance, and quality of products. And often we can still measure brands more than we perhaps were able to, but there is that level of hunch and creativity and gut feeling still when it comes to building brands and building off of a true human insight. Matt, you are like a master note taker there. <laughs> Maybe just add two counterpoints. Like if I was the complete cynic, if this was all a movie and we were just trying to take the piss out of, it, of ourselves. Like I think like number one is, I do find a lot of people you know, will say that, Kind of the whole purpose-built brands thing can become its own homogeneity. It's this stereotype, right? Of you know, like the kind of the hippie-loving brand kind of thing, right? What I would say about that is, I mean, and I think there was this comment where where I was reading it, I was, I was reading a, a deck that was focused on um, brands versus brands, kind of you know the this kind of army of purpose-built brands that actually all just sound the same. And I'd say that is that is out there, and and frankly, a lot of it, to be honest, because people. It's because people go through these frameworks and so forth, but it's not actually, they, they go through it in an almost inauthentic way, like just to tick the boxes, but there's no real core human truth coming from themselves. And that's the reality. It was like, frankly, there are, you know, there'll be, there'll be some fantastic founders out there. There's also a bunch of founders who just want, want to, you know, want to create a unicorn, make a billion dollars, right? And they're just baking it on the mission and the vision. I think the second point is, 
that we talk about kind of tech and all these startups doing great things. I mean, increasingly tech companies are going to become also, you know, the next, I mean, already now, but over the next kind of few decades, because just by virtue of becoming the biggest companies, they're going to become the most probably looked at and hated companies as well. And so like, I guess as, as marketers, we kind of need to take a, a pinch of salt, a spot of sobriety and, and look at ourselves in the mirror as we do all these things and challenge ourselves as well. Like, you know, are these th things being done for the right reasons, right? Are we really building a brand that's based in authenticity or just building a brand that says the right thing at the right time to make a sell? There's definitely, I don't know what you guys think, but there's definitely some catch up points. I think I've probably just been watching too many Netflix movies where like the bad guy is like some tech dude or like some marketing guy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I, I do like the build though. I think, you know, it's not, it's not about being purpose-built or, or believing a purpose for the sake of it. It is actually building something that is authentically you as a, either a founder or a business or something that you fundamentally believe in. Otherwise, it's very hard to create a purpose that other people would believe in. Um, I, I, that's what I fundamentally think. And I think consumers are getting increasingly good at spotting bullshit. Yeah, exactly. There's been, they've had so much bullshit thrown at them, right? They're just like, their BS detector is on point now. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for joining. The last question for our listeners, what's the best way to uh, follow you online? You can probably, the, the most active that I'm on is, is, is LinkedIn. So you can uh, follow me there, just search Oliver Lowe, uh, L-O. I don't think there's many of, of, of Oliver Lowe's around. All right, Oliver, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, all of the listeners as well. And thank you, Honor. It was a pleasure as always. Likewise. Thank you, guys. Really good fun chatting to you. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. We'd love to get any feedback, questions, or topic suggestions you may have. Drop us a line at hello at strategyandsourdough.com. 